we come around your word this morning, we, we have the same heart, the same prayer that we always want to have at this time. And that is, Lord, just that we would have open hearts, open eyes, open ears, an open spirit to receive what it is you want to deposit into us this morning. If it's a, a huge change of life, let it be. If it's a slight adjustment, let it be. If it's a piece of learning we didn't have before, let it be. If it's a challenging moment, a convicting thought, God, let it be. Whatever it is you want us to take away from today, Lord Jesus, let it be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your mighty name. Thank you, guys. That was beautiful, beautiful. Grab your Bibles, everybody. Let's uh, have a bit of a turn to Romans, just for a change. <laughs> We're going to get into learning a new normal number six this morning. But before we do that, uh, just got a couple of things I want to go through. Oh, I had mentioned last week that I would talk a little bit this week about uh, the building project and timelines and finances and where it's up to and all that sort of stuff. We thought we'd hold it off until next week, uh, given that today is a long weekend and we assumed and uh, kind of guessed that number of, of people would be away, having a weekend away. We thought we'd better to do that when a uh, maximum number of people are here so we can get information across to everybody at the same time. But the big news, of course, as you can no doubt tell, is that we have carpet. So, uh, woo, which is pretty exciting. So I thought I'd preach from up here this morning just because I can, because, you know, like it's carpet on the steps and the stage and all that stuff. So um, carpet, very exciting. And thank you to everybody that's helped again during the week. There is uh, an enormous amount of work that goes on during the week. You have to kind of understand that. It's hard to picture that. but uh, And a number of people that just keep coming and painting and cleaning and just fiddling to get the thing right. Not just the physical building, but that creates an atmosphere too. That helps uh, people learn and people grow. So thank you to everybody. Um, another big thank you here. I got an email. Nikki and I received an email during the week from Zebedee, Pastor Zebedee from Vanuatu. And uh, I thought I'd just read it. It's very short, so I'll read it to you. It says, quite simply this, Dear Pastor Tim, I was going to do a Zebedee accent then, but I, c- I can't do it justice, so I won't. <laughs> um, Dear Pastor Tim, I would like to express my heart to you and Nick for having me in your lovely church. It's a time that I will never forget because of the warmness and love I've seen in everyone. Pastor Tim and Nick, thank you so much for your wonderful heart and also for the great gift your church gave us. It's something that we don't expect, but we want to thank you, thank you so much for the precious people with the humble hearts honouring me and Roland and the ministry. Give our love and thank you to everyone, please. We greatly love you all in Jesus' name and hope to come again and be part of the fellowship. Also, thank you for the continuous praying for the ministry. The church is going well as we continue to build the bond of unity within the leaders and members. Looking forward to seeing you soon in Port Vila. Love, Zeb. Um, I should tell you, by the way, that you are an extraordinarily generous church. And when we took up that love offering at a moment's notice with no sort of pre-warning or pre-planning... Um, we were able to write him a cheque. Actually, we gave him cash because 
we knew he was flying out of the country <laughs> within about two hours. Um, we gave him cash of just over eight hundred dollars, um, which you got to understand in uh, Nevan language and when transferred, exchanged for um, Vatu, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And uh, that will really, really bless them. So no wonder they felt to say thank you in that sense and special mention to the gift. Um, I know his heart and I know that he would have been here and done it for nothing. That was not the issue. But to be able to bless him, brilliant stuff. So well done and thank you guys. Appreciate it. All righty. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to end. No, Romans chapter 3, sorry. Jumping ahead, getting too excited. It's message number 6. It's Romans chapter 3. Church, I realised something this week. Do you want to know what that was? Yes. Well, come on, give me a bigger yes. Do you want to know what that was? Yes, that part of my role in my life is to preach the good news. Pretty cool, hey? Yeah, I preach the good news. So I have something to say this morning, something that I want to get off my chest, something I have to share. Basically, I have some good news for you. Good news, good news. Here's the good news. God loves you. That's about as complicated as it gets. God loves you and he loves me. And I'm starting to realize that he has a plan for you and he has a plan for me. And we talk about that and we kind of throw that off as a kind of Christianese phrase, but it's true. It's absolutely true. God has asked us to share the good news with each other. And the good news, if you look at it, if you unpack it, to use my favorite word, if you have a look at the very guts of the good news, the good news is that God loves you. The good news is that God loves you and God loves me. And despite my mess and despite your mess, despite our mess, God loves us and has a plan for us. Individually. You know, there are six and a half billion people in the world right now. And God knows and loves every one of them and has a plan for every one of them. That staggers me. I have trouble looking after myself let alone my wife, my kids, and, and a church, and a, and a circle of family and friends. I, I know a lot of people, but it's hard to kind of stay in contact and look after them all. God looks after six and a half billion of us and has an individual plan for everyone. God has a plan for you and me. That's a wonderful plan, a plan to help you, to grow you, to develop you, to mature you, to guide you, to satisfy and fulfill you. To prosper you, not to harm you, never, ever to harm you. The plans of God for your life and mine give us hope, give us a future. And guess what? That plan is completely normal. The plan of God for you and I is completely normal. Our job is to listen very closely so that we can hear very clearly what that plan actually involves and therefore what we should be doing with our lives. Discovering that plan and sticking to it. That's our part in the partnership, our part in the relationship. God says, I made you, I loved you, I still love you, I will continue to love you and I have a plan for you. And your part in the relationship is to listen, to hear, to obey, to step out in the things that God has said, this part's for you, this part's for you. Don't touch that bit, that's not for you, that's for that person. To hear what God is actually saying. 
and then to step into it. That's our part. That's why we're looking at learning a new normal. That's why we're reading and trying to understand what, what Paul is saying to the Roman church, what, what God is saying through Paul saying to the Roman church to us today, because the Word of God is living. So this isn't just a letter that was written a long time ago to one group of people. This is the Word of God breathing alive today, and we can learn from it. So we're walking through Romans simply because... It's good for us to try to hear what God is saying. We've got to find out what, what is God saying to me personally? And what is God saying to us corporately? And what is God saying to his world? And what's our part in that? So we're walking through, understanding, trying to, trying to see what God is saying and doing and starting to grasp that, in fact, what God is doing is trying to return us all to normal. The world is in a kind of funny, funny way. Anyone notice that? We, we don't mind dropping bombs on each other. We don't mind testing things on each other. We don't mind, we don't seem to mind what we do to each other. In fact, at the moment, can I say this on record? We're more concerned about trees and whales than we are about each other. I like trees and whales. I think we should keep them. But I think it's high time we started getting concerned about people. People. At the moment, there are laws governing what, you, what, governing what you can do with trees and whales, but you can kill your own child. Whew. When, when are we going to start to care about each other like God does? New normal, new day. Going back to the start. Romans chapter 3 is where we're up to today. Learning a new normal number 6. Let's read just eight verses, Romans 3, 1 to 8. In our minds, thinking, why are we doing this? Because we've got to hear what God wants to say. We've got to hear what's real and true and normal. We've got to see how this applies to me, to you, to us. Romans 3, verse 1. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our, righteous, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that was so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. Back to verse 1 and 2. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Nothing's really changed in thousands of years, has it? Nothing has changed in the world in which we live, in the 
prevailing attitude of the day. And I say this because of these questions. Paul is answering questions that people are asking. Paul is having to explain where things are at. And what he chooses to focus on I find fascinating because thousands of years later, we're still in the same position. What advantage is there in this Christianity thing? What value is there for me personally? What do I get out of it? It's the same question. This is exactly what Paul was facing. People saying to him, well, come on, this God that you talk about, what is he going to do for me? What advantage is there in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? These were the things that were were facing them right there and then. For us today, translate that, 2009. What advantage is there in following God? What advantage is there in belonging to a church? What advantage is there in giving my life to Christ and becoming a Christian? This Christianity that you talk about, what value does it hold for me? Same question. In fact, in the world at the moment, these are very constant themes, aren't they? (laughs) What's in it for me? It's everywhere. We live in a consumer-driven world where it seems that everything's for sale. Everything has a price. We strive to get what we want. We want the upper hand. We want the advantage. We want great returns on our outputs. We want value. I looked up advantage and value. Advantage means a position of superiority, a favorable effect, or a circumstance that brings benefit or gain. Value is the implied or considered worth or importance of an item or a situation. You only have to look at methods used by current marketing experts and advertising agencies to see where the world is at right now. Everything is driven by the advantage and the value. What you're going to get if you give me that. What I can do for you if you give me that. You'll get this if you do that. It's all about what I can get out of it. And it's a really strange way to be. Actually, do yourself a favour sometime and if you've got a moment, watch the, uh, the Gruen transfer on the ABC, uh, which is a show all about marketing and the ploys and tactics and tricks and all the things that are employed by the world of marketing and advertising. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Now, mind you, as I say this, I'm not laying the blame at the feet of those involved in the marketing industry because marketing is driven by us. It's like people that say, oh, those magazines. They should never have put all that personal stuff about Princess Di in the new idea and then it wouldn't have happened. Well, you and I bought the magazines. You and I paid for the photographers to chase her. You and I contributed wholeheartedly to that situation. And it's exactly the same with this. It's very easy for us to say, oh, those people out there, they just don't get it. All they want to know is what are they going to get out of Christianity? Well, they're going to keep asking that question until we answer it. And they're going to keep asking that question whilst we're in a world that's consumer-driven. Our job is not to change the world. Our job is to direct people to Christ. Our job is to direct people to Christ. I started really thinking about this, going, well, it's no wonder people ask these sort of questions about God. What am I going to get out of it? Because that's the tone of the world. Now, are we going to sit and complain about the tone of the world or are we going to recognise it for what it is and do something about it? The question is, what are we going to do? 
this God you're talking about? What advantage is there for me in following him? What value is there in Christianity? Can you answer that question? If somebody asked you that question today, tomorrow, during the week, at your workplace, at school, uh, in church, in a church service, over a cup of tea, if someone said to you, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian, what advantage is there in becoming a Christian? What value is there in this God that you serve? What do I get out of it? Could we answer that question? Could you and I answer that question, biblically, obediently and appropriately? I want to try and give you an answer based on what we read right here. See, if we try to answer that question with the world's normal in mind, what is currently seen as normal, it's only going to be a very surface level answer and it might not be a particularly favourable answer. (laughs) Here, try this on for size. You're in a plane, uh, I just made that up, but you're somewhere and you meet somebody and they say, what advantage is there in following God? What value will I get out of becoming a Christian. You say, oh, okay, hang on, I've got a list here. I'll just, I'll just look over it. Uh, well, over the past few centuries, if you look at history, um, if you want to belong to God, you can see quite clearly that this will give you the opportunity to be ridiculed, uh, ostracised, persecuted, uh, hassled, offended, and that's just inside the church. <laughs> and then in certain parts of the world, you'll probably be physically assaulted, possibly jailed, maybe killed, certainly hated, Uh, you want to fill out a membership form. See, if we look at it only in terms of what the world's normal measuring stick is, if we look at it in terms of the way the world sees things, what do I get? Well, it's a ridiculous question. But as we unpack Romans, as we unpack Scripture in general, as we hear what God is saying, I'd like to suggest a, a different answer because I'm not sure that the marketing gurus are going to be able to do too much with that list. Come to church! (laughs) Based on that list, I don't think it's going to work. But it doesn't need to be based on that list, it needs to be based on this list, on the Word of God. So how are we going to answer that question? What advantage is there for me in following God? What value is there in Christianity? Well, we go to God, we go to Scripture, we go to prayer, we learn a new normal then we can answer the question. What does Paul say in Romans when he was asked this very same question? What advantage then is there in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? Paul's answer, much in every way. Good answer, good start. Then he goes on. First of all, meaning there must be more, but first, first of all, they, you and I, me, Us, the church, God's children, all of us who follow God, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. Wow. Wow. So the very first point that Paul points to in answering the question, what's the biggest advantage of being a Christ follower? What do you get? What value is there? The very first thing he says is please note that you've been entrusted with the very word of God. That's a staggering response. The first advantage, the first value-added result of following God, loving God, serving God, being a Christian, is that you and I have been entrusted with the very words of God. 
I started to think that through. I thought, my goodness. This God, our God, the creator of everything, he trusts you and me with his words. Well, hang on, doesn't the Bible say that his words are truth itself? And that in his words we find life and forgiveness and freedom? So God's words, that's a pretty big deal. And God trusts you and I with his words. The very word of God. I know myself. I know a lot of you. You know yourselves. You know each other. We find it hard to trust ourselves. We find it hard to trust each other. To get to a place where we hear and read that God trusts us with his very words. Truth, life, freedom. God trusts us to pass this on to each other and to others. God must really love us. God must really have a plan for us. God must really, really, seriously, deeply love you. He trusts you with his very words. You want real advantage? You want a position that brings eternal benefit and gain? You want real value? You want worth like you've never seen before or understood? Then get beside God. The only true provider of advantage and value. That's worth so much more than any temporary material bits and pieces we cling to every day. What I see in this, what I believe we're going to take out of this this morning, is that very clearly part of God's normal plan for you and I. We're learning a new normal. He's presenting his plan. We're trying to understand it. Part of God's normal plan for you and I in our everyday lives is that we would represent him. He trusts us with his very words. He is asking us to represent him. Right around the world, Christians globally are entrusted with the truth and asked to represent God. Now we've seen the films, Bruce Almighty. We've thought about it. If there was an ad in the paper for the position of God, I'm being silly. Do you think that we would satisfy the criteria? But God trusts us with the very truth that he contains and asks us to represent him. With all our shortfalls with all our inconsistencies, with all our mess as individuals and as people, and even the church. God says, if you love me and follow me, if you give your life to me, if you obey me, if you relate to me, if we work together for life eternally, the biggest advantage that I will give you, the biggest value-added blessing that I bestow upon you is that I trust you enough to ask you to represent me. Wow. That's the kind of God I want to get to know. 
I don't even know too many bosses in the secular world that do that. I don't know of too many high-ranking CEOs or officials that would go to the rubber band collector in the office, the, the sort of lowest, that's wrong terminology, you know what I mean, the, the least important person in the structure and say, I've got a really important meeting coming up this week. We've got a billion-dollar deal going down. I can't make it. Would you represent me? I can't see it happening. And yet the creator of the universe says, I've got some important stuff to do. I want to get love out to six and a half billion people. Would you represent me? Because I've got your heart. I know where you're at. And despite some of the mess, I love you. And I believe in you. And I've got a plan for you. And I'm going to prove my love by showing you how much I trust you. I want you to represent me with the very words that I contain. Go, wow, God, you're incredible. So I got thinking about being a representative of God. Three very quick things that being a representative of God means. Number one, being a representative of God means accepting the trust that he places in me. God trusts me. That's huge. Honestly, honestly, if you were honest, if I asked you to be completely open, and I'm not going to because it could be all too much for a Sunday morning. But if I was to be completely transparent and, and all of us were together, how many people do you really trust? I mean, really. I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just trying to make you think. I'm trying to prod you. How many people do you really trust? I found a quote during the week that says, trust appears when we place what we value in the hands of another. Trust appears when we place what we value in the hands of another. I'm going to guess that there are things in our lives that we value very, very dearly. The world values money, possessions, houses, cars, stuff. And they have a limited value in our lives as well. I would hope that the things that we hold dear, the things that we really value would be our family, our friends, relationships, things that are people-based and are full of love and are important. If you've got kids or if you've got brothers, sisters, a husband, a wife, a a cousin that you love, a a dad, a mum, an uncle, someone that is of value to you, who can you confidently give that person to? Knowing that they would love them as much as you do. That'll tell you who you trust. Really trust. Trust appears when we place what we value in the hands of another. Well, God obviously trusts us because he places what he values, the eternity of mankind, in our hands. It says, I want you to represent me, go for it. Accepting that trust is huge. Being a representative of God means, number one, that I need to accept the trust that God places in me. Incidentally, a book about trust and how it works in organisations, which I believe is called The Speed of Trust, has been mentioned twice in the last couple of months in our e-church and think by two different speakers. So I think I might have to read it. <laughs> or I could get Nikki to read it and highlight the important bits. Um, 
Speed of Trust. If you want to write that down, it's called The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey Jr. I haven't read it, um, but it's been mentioned twice and appears to contain some really helpful teaching on how trust works and what it is. Number one, being a representative of God. Learning a new normal. Understanding what God wants. Learning that we represent him. Firstly, I have to accept the trust that he places in me. Secondly, being a representative of God means taking responsibility for actioning the words of God. Taking responsibility for actioning the words of God. God loves me. God trusts me with his words. We're just reading that. And he has a plan for me. That's incredible. So my response must contain some action. I must respond by stepping out and doing something with what God is asking me to do, what he has trusted me with. I want to obediently, faithfully step out into the plans of God. I want to do that, but guess what? Some days I just don't feel like I can. Some days we all get to a point where we go, ah, I just, I can't. I don't feel right, I don't feel whole, I don't feel able, I don't feel confident, I don't, I can't do this, God. No matter what it is, whatever you've been called to do, there are times when we all go, no, I can't, I can't do it. But that's where what we read before, the the last part of what we read from verses 3 down to 8, covers this and helps us to understand that. Clearly Paul was answering the same questions because if you read that through, make a few notes of your own in your own time. Those questions come up, well, what if someone hasn't got faith? What if someone's struggling? What if it's just a bit too hard? What if my unrighteousness is, is shining too brightly? Well, Paul says it's not a reason to stop. Don't stop. Keep going. Because we're all going to get to a point at some point when you just don't feel like it. There's a, there's a day or a season or a time where you're trying desperately to do what God wants you to do, but you just kind of can't. It's just not quite working. Well, that's called being human. But we've got to take our eyes off our humanity, off our unrighteousness, off our lack of faith, And put our eyes fairly and squarely back on God. And say, even when my unrighteousness is very obvious, even when my lack of faith is shining very brightly, even when my struggles are seemingly overwhelming, keep my eyes on God and allow Him to be the focus and the answer. And don't give up. Don't stop. But keep taking responsibility for actioning the words of God. Last one, number three. Being a representative of God means working fruitfully alongside others in the house of representatives. Many of you may know, I'm fascinated by politics, particularly federal and state politics. So I couldn't help but kind of be thinking about this analogy when I was reading this scripture. In our current political system, and I'm sure most of you would be aware, when the elected officials gather together at state or federal level, we have two houses of parliament, the Senate, known as the Upper House, which is where bills and laws are checked and balanced, watched over, if you like. And we have a lower house where the laws are constructed, proposed, put together, which is more correctly known as 
the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives, where those who represent the people gather together to talk and to create. Well, I figure that the church is God's House of Representatives. I figure that where we are right now in a church service is a gathering of the representatives. If we're to truly understand and comprehend that we are representatives of God, then coming together as we do in small groups, in large groups, wherever we gather, as a church, we are in fact coming together as the house of representatives. The analogy is limited, please understand that, because of the heart of what's going on. But please understand what I'm trying to say. The church is the place where those who love God and represent God gather together to worship Him, to learn from Him, to encourage one another, to be equipped in order to go back out into the community and properly represent Him. So this is the house of representatives. And in here we're meant to be working together to represent Him beautifully, to see great fruit occur through the work we do as a family, as a, as a body, as part of the global body in His name. That's pretty exciting. I'm excited. What a privilege. What amazing advantages. What fantastic value we receive from and in and through God as we give our lives to Him if we accept His trust, if we action His words, and if we work fruitfully together in His house. So next time anybody says to you, what do you get out of God? What advantage is there? What value is there in God? Answer them like this. When I love God and follow and serve and obediently give my life to God, He loves me so much that He gives me His trust. He allows me to represent Him. He asks me to be part of his family. He gives me a plan and a future. My God, he loves me. He loves me. I think that's an unbelievable position of advantage and value. I'm going to pray in a second. I'd love the musos to come back up. And as we... um, As we close and pray, I just thought it might help to read the main words, the main themes of the last six weeks. They haven't been chronological, you understand that, of learning a new normal. I'm going to do it by way of a prayer. I'd love you to close your eyes and just be thinking and praying. Because this is challenging stuff. I know it is. It's challenging me. And I'd love it to be challenging us all. I'd love us to be asking ourselves these questions. Am I grasping what God is teaching me? What am I going to do about it when I walk away from a Sunday morning service like today or any other Sunday? Will I allow what God is saying and doing to impact and influence my life? Help me change my mind, my thinking patterns, my behavior. Will I let God 
influence me. As we've looked at learning a new normal for the last six weeks, we've looked at several key areas. And Heavenly Father, as we pray right now, we thank you for the learning. We thank you for highlighting Scripture to us. We thank you for breathing on, in, and through the words of the Bible so that passages and text written many, many years ago is still alive and strong in our minds and our hearts. God, make it real to us. Help us to apply what we read and see to our daily lives. God, over this last season of trying to learn a new normal, we've seen that we've got to be prepared to change. We've seen that we've got to understand relationships with you, each other, and ourselves. We know, God, that we have to live by faith, be living by faith every day. We remember your righteousness, your complete righteousness, is revealed and expressed only through Jesus Christ. We decide, Lord Jesus, and make a daily decision to take personal responsibility for thoughts, words, and actions. We understand the if and then principle of action and response. And God, we want to work hard to make inside change so we can see outside change. And God, we add to that today an understanding that we are representatives of you and that everything we do and say will impact others, either positively or negatively, as they grapple with the reality of the need for you in their lives, Lord Jesus. God, we are representing you, and we want to do that as well as possible, Heavenly Father. So God, with all of these things that we're learning, and I'm sure there's much, much more to come, it's our prayer right now, Lord, that you would instill these things as foundational pillars in our lives, that you would open our heart and mind and spirit, our eyes and our ears to see and hear what it is that you're pouring into us, Lord Jesus, to strengthen us up on the inside and prepare us for the future that you've already laid out. We recognize that you love us, Lord. We absolutely see that. And we want to do this this thing called life, this journey. We want to do it with you. Thank you, God. And I pray right now, Heavenly Father, for every person here that as they open their hearts, as I open my heart, that, God, you would speak clearly. You would clean up any mess that's inside us. And you would prepare us for the future that you have pre-planned, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise your mighty name. Praise your mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And we might um, we might close with a song, guys. But what we'll do as well is uh, I was just thinking, if anyone does want some prayer, um, I'm not in a hurry. Uh, while we sing, you can come and we'll just be over here. And have a bit of a quick pray, if you'd like. Uh, Whatever you want to be prayed for, more than happy to pray with you.
So come and have some prayer while we close in song. Bless you all. Have a fabulous week. We'll see you back here next week. Leaders, we'll see you on Tuesday. Bless you. Let's sing. Why don't you stand up and sing?